This episode sponsored by Emporium. Emporium's three Chicago land locations combine the best arcade games, craft beer, and live events. Check out EmporiumChicago.com slash CPC for a free drink or game tokens. Tag. Mein Name ist Heinrich von Hellschimmer und Merry Christmas from me und let me be the first to welcome you to the Kropersnacht Family Fun Place and Shopping Time Child Detention Center. Come on in! The West Jacksonburg Strip Mall is proud to announce the only authentic Austrian Kropersnacht Family Play Place. Yeah, yeah! Mom and Dad can get some shopping done away from the prying eyes of their progeny while enjoying Austrian culture at a genuine Krampusnacht. Featuring such authentic Austrian pastimes as The birch basket rides, actual coal mining, building toys for the good children, and getting hit with the birch branch. What was that last part? But don't take my word for it! Are you recording this? Yeah, I want it on the record. My child was forced to make a little wooden ducky. He was covered in coal dust, and he had been whipped with a birch branch. You should see the welts. And this young Fraulein. Oh, yeah. My child was forced to make the wooden ducky, and he was covered in coal dust. And also, he was whipped with the birch branch. You should see the welts. Und sie versteht, wie die spielt Charakter in ihrem Kind, ja? Oh ja, mein Kind muss die harte Lehre der Gehorsens lernen. All right. Um, so, uh, br- come on down to West Jacksonburg's finest strip mall for holiday savings and uh, free ch- child care. Did he say he whipped a child? Yeah, yeah! Und fröhlich Weihnachten! Froleek, we knocked into you all. This took this took like half an hour to construct, mainly because I had to tiptoe the line between (laughs) Devon and like some poor Indian man accent that I you get into weird areas. Hello everybody. Hi, 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 hi. Welcome to Blurry Photos. Welcome to Blurry Photos. I'm David Flora. I'm Dave Stecco. Oh, man, and do we have uh, a delightful Krampus knocked present for you. Boy, do we ever. We're going to roll out our tongues and swing the birch branch uh, of interviewdom right in, right in your backside. That's right. We're going to, yeah, we're going to ring the giant <laughs> iron bell of quality. Ka-clunk, ka-clunk, ka-clunk. It's time for it. We, uh, we, we, yeah. we we're very excited. We got a great episode. Yeah. So we recorded this on Krampus knocked. What better night to record an excellent episode? Uh, as you already know, because you already know, uh, we have a glorious guest tonight. Flora gets to announce it because he did not systemically uh, uh, walk around and insult everyone at the Paracon. <laughs> nope, he chose to make friends. <laughs> that is true. Uh, we we got to, to meet Chase Kletsky at the Milwaukee Paracon, and she agreed to come on and, and talk to us. And yeah. we actually have uh, already recorded this and, and are going to go into it. And it was a magnificent time. Yeah. What a great what a great interview. Yeah. She's as cool as they get. So big thank you to Chase for being on our humble show. And uh, so sit back, uh, grab some nog, whip a child, and uh, enjoy. 
Yeah. Here's our interview with Chase Kletsky. Yeah. Uh, also, you can make them make toys. Just you don't, you don't have to just whip them. You can whip them and have them work for you. Keep it in mind. <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> we are very excited to welcome our guest tonight. Indeed we are. She's the current Deputy Director of Investigations and Special Case Manager for the Mutual UFO Network, having served as the Star Team Manager and Deputy Director of Investigations from 1996 to 2011. She's worked with the Department of Defense as Master Trainer and Master Instructor, designing specialized programs for force readiness and elite force protection, and she's a certified private investigator. She's got 20-plus years of investigating the paranormal and UFOs and has authored two books, Admissible and Are Aliens Really Real? And this is just scratching the surface of her pedigree and accomplishments. We're very honored to welcome Chase Kletsky to the show. Chase, welcome to Blurry Photos. I am so excited to be here. I listen to the show. I love you guys. So it's such an honor. It's my pleasure. Oh, Oh, this is this is ours. awesome. Yeah. Now, before there are so many things that Flora just listed that I have many <laughs> questions about, but there's one thing that I would love to know. Uh, Chase, you, you got some uh, you got some martial arts training, do you? I have That's, a little. Yes, I do. That is awesome. What what uh, what kind of martial arts? I took Taekwondo, um, Muda Kwan style, mm-hmm. and uh, segued that into a few years later um, into Krav Maga. And that (laughs) I went from kind of the Hollywood stylistic, although it is it serves well as self-defense. Yeah. You know, I'm a woman. I travel a lot by myself and to have a little more access to some some skills and some real self-defense. Let's face it, guys, all fights are going to go to the ground. And I'm a woman. I'm five foot one. I'm little. um, I'm going to have to learn to you know, fight my way up from the ground. So Krav Maga <laughs> was uh, a good place to start for sure. And of course, for people that don't know what that is, that is the fighting um, form for the Israeli Defense Force. And yeah. it is the only fight form not allowed in uh, cage fighting. So it's <laughs> everything goes but Krav Maga because it's deadly. Yeah, it does. It does not play around. That's if anyone who's curious of what that looks like. Uh, I think a lot of the, the the Jason Bourne movies. I think he's using Krav Maga in those. Yes, yeah, I was thinking the Tony Jaw movies. Yeah, the the Ong Bak. Yeah, it definitely. The, what you're seeing in the um, Bourne Identity and yeah, the Jason Bourne movies is Krav Maga 100. percent You know, and there's a lot of reasons for that. You really want to secure a getaway. That really is the first priority is to get a safety distance between you and somebody who already has an agenda. So, you know, I'm caught by surprise, but they have a plan. But the second reason is, let's face it, guys, we only want one story to tell ours. Right. (laughs) So in the end, uh, you know, I don't want to be dealing with, you know, he said, she said, you know, it's like, let's just finish this. And well, back, back where I'm from, we just call that (laughs) smart. Right. Right. (laughs) That's awesome. I I know that has nothing to do with uh, any of your work at MUFON or anything like that. Or maybe it does. Maybe how many of these things have you had to fight your way out of? But (laughs) I just, I was just really interested in that. Well, actually not many, 
but there there was a case not too long ago I found myself in Kentucky and it's the backwoods of Kentucky and you know I, I am with a, a girlfriend but let's face it you know <laughs> two girls right <laughs> and you know the the witness is showing us where you know he reports um, a craft had landed and we keep walking of the further we get in the woods I'm thinking to myself Am I crazy here? Like, oh, yeah. I have no idea who this man is. I have no idea if there, there's five more waiting for us. So you know that you have to be smarter about, you know, some things that you do and, and your investigation plan when you work what I call boots on the ground like I do. I don't investigate from a phone. So, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm out there. I'm collecting forensics. You know, I'm treating everything um, on site. And it was just a couple wake-up calls like that. Of course, nothing happened. But, you know, when you find yourself sizing up the witness and I'm behind him thinking, I can take him. I got this. (laughs) You know, it it hits you eventually. You should have thought of that a day ago. Like, what's your protection? So, you know, so having, I think, a little bit of that ability or at least the confidence to try to fight your way out of something um, is is a good asset. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for real. Yeah, that makes good sense. And you can't trust those Kentucky boys. <laughs> right? No. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah those, the, the woods outside of Carlisle are particularly dangerous, yeah, I'm told. That's, that's where I'm from, Chase. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I have it on good authority. <laughs> Not a trustworthy bone in any of us. Uh, <laughs> that was a really interesting case, too. And, um, you know, it, it did. It brought us in the uh, back town. Um, uh, it's Middlesbrough is where we oh, were yeah. in Kentucky, yeah. your coal mine country. And it, it, it town was also built in this crater, it, a legitimate crater and a hole in the earth. And just the most fascinating, um, courteous, wonderful people. So we were in good hands, but um, it, it wasn't smart on my end. Something I, <laughs> I no longer do is go out unprepared. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can't be too careful uh, for for sure. I was driving to, I think, a. Um, uh, it, it was right after I had graduated college. I was driving to a theater internship in Virginia, and I was like, I'm just going to cut straight through the eastern part of Kentucky, get into Virginia because I'm, I'm headed towards uh, Roanoke right there. And I, <laughs> it was the dumbest thing because I get down there, and this is before, I, you know, smartphones, and I don't have GPS or anything. And I just, I, I suddenly find myself down in this holler where, you know, there's a few houses, a little, some kind of little town there, but I, I drive past this concrete building and I swear it's like a, a rectangle of concrete with a big cross on the side of it. And I was like, where am I? <laughs> and the sun was going down and I had no idea where I was and I'm calling my dad and I'm like, you got to get me out of here. Find a map. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, these, these are supposed to be my people, and I am scared right now. <laughs> but anyways, it all, it all turns out. But that, that is a very good lesson. I mean, I'm going to get into uh, a lot of the stuff uh, about good lessons and things to think about as you're investigating and stuff uh, with your uh, book, Admissible, which uh, I grabbed a copy of. But uh, we, you know, we want to know a little bit about everything that you're up to, which is a ton. <laughs> yeah. And, um, we hope to discuss MUFON uh, and your recent work in Peru and Bolivia and something that uh, just uh, you, you told us about uh, work as a lobbyist now 
which that's awesome. And why don't we start there and you can tell us about uh, what you're doing now these days, the the, the new news. <laughs> <laughs> the latest is, um, you know, I, I registered through, you almost need a user's manual to get through government documents, whether they're applications or, you know, things that you've uh, sequestered from, you know, Freedom of Information Act and, or FOIA as we call it. But, uh, you know, I finally reached the end where um, I, I drove to Atlanta and stayed overnight at a hotel and, you know, went into uh, the office of campaign finance uh, disclosure um, and commission and, you know, got a photo ID and I'm a registered lobbyist. And I thought it was very important to do this because um, it was a few years back. The citizens hearing for disclosure was something that Steve Bassett had put together in the Paradigm Research Group. And here we are at the National Press Club, just two blocks from D.C. in the Capitol. And, you know, we're, we're having a citizen's hearing. And it was held exactly like a congressional hearing where we have six former congressmen and senators, which were brilliant because they've sat intelligence committees and, you know, the type of work that they do in D.C. as you know, our representatives, they had access to a lot of information and security clearances, and we needed to talk to them. So I go up there as a spectator, and I'm watching, you know, some of the best in our field stand up with their hands up, our best witnesses, some of the top researchers in the world, and they raise their hands, and they swear to tell the truth, and they start going. Watching these six uh, lawmakers you know, kind of walk in. I think they expected to hear stories about, you know, alien abductions and I was probed and that's not what they got. Mm -hmm. By Wednesday, we have Senator Graval from Alaska just in disgust, dropping his hands and he says, literally, out in the open, it's, it's on YouTube, I've lost faith in our government. We need to open these files. And I realized at that point that for just five days, 40 hours of testimony that we, in a very early time of this, were able to show the real evidence that we have uh, surrounding the UFO phenomena and the UFO reality enough to convince this panel of very skeptic, you know, harsh components that, that knew nothing about it. Mm -hmm. So that was the first clue. I left, I left that event feeling like we need to up our game. We have to be better. So I wrote the book admissible, you know, let's, let's do this right out here, guys. Let's be professional. Let's take the responsibility of the titles we accept, such as investigator and things. And, you know, let's really up the game. So watching the election this year, the, it was contentious. It was, you know, something you expect to see on one of these tabloid talk shows. Sure. It was brutal. And yet it was captivating. But I'm, I'm listening to Hillary Clinton talk about UFOs with Jimmy Kim Kimball and actually say, well, actually, Jimmy, we don't call them UFOs. Uh, they're actually called UAPs, you know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, unknown <laughs> aerial <laughs> phenomena. It, it, yeah, it's just crazy that, you know, here's Hillary Clinton. We have Podesta coming out. We have WikiLeaks putting out all these emails between Podesta and Tom DeLong and, you know, all these insiders talking about the ufo cover-up in dc and i thought 
we need we need access we need to have more people in the field titled because it's the only way we're going to get these appointments is if we have a title and the only way I could think to do it was as a lobbyist but we need to get in there and we need to start presenting our evidence not what you find on the internet but our hardcore evidence things that we have and start educating our lawmakers and see where we go from there so I have registered. I'm the only second UFO lobbyist. Uh, Steve Bassett has been doing it for years and actually the inspiration for me to take this next step. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Do you, do you find then when you talk about just the presenting the hard factual evidence, do you feel like maybe a lot of that gets um, not necessarily ignored, but over sensationalized for the purposes of a, of a catchy headline or uh, a funny, uh, you know, news of the bizarre clip of somebody's other show. When, when, what you're trying to put forth is like, no, we took the following scientific readings that don't make for a, a fun or or catchy uh, audio clip, but maybe present a much more factual basis for the research you're doing. You are a hundred and fifty percent correct. Um, I think. A, a very small population of the world understands what we really have. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, the, the term UFO was foisted upon us. Mm-hmm. And, and this was created by the media. Um, we don't even like the term um, because it conjures almost that ridicule and tinfoil hat image, even with ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the term has been co-opted and tainted in that, you know, it wouldn't be so bad if it wasn't people making fun of it now, you know what I mean? Yes, but, you know, we have a case that's uh, been very scientifically done or we have, you know, new government documents. And you're absolutely right. It's not as catchy as the latest uh, CGI video because the guy is brilliant at how to market this with the fancy web page and put it off as, you know, some a real witness put it out because we all know it's about YouTube hits and how many hits your website gets and, right. you know, Google AdSense. And, you know, you can actually make a lot of money on this now. And, you know, these kids have gotten smart. They know how to you know, do it. So we do uh, find ourselves lost in that minutia of the Internet. Um, but the government has used disinformation and has used, you know, some of this tactic against us. And they have since, you know, the modern UFO era started in 1947. Well, I, th- I think it's it's genius of you to get on the inside track with that and, and try to really make a difference, you know, from the top down as opposed to trying to wade through the YouTube and uh, the clickbait and all that crap that's out there. So kudos to that. Thank you. It's time. Uh, yeah, we ha- Stephen Hawking's is talking about, um, you know, the, the inevitability of finding intelligent life out there. Uh, you know, our scientific community and, uh, you know, they're all talking, Neil deGrasse, all of them that, you know, 10 years ago wouldn't even listen to the possibility you know well now we're finding so much information between hubble and and the satellites that we're getting and uh you know the things that we're discovering including pluto's not a planet right right so you know with all this information they're now coming to terms with um how ridiculous it is to think that humanity is the only intelligence you know in this vastness of space and we haven't even truly discovered dark matter so that brings on a whole new you know level of dimension so you know it's just too vast and 
you know, we really need to strike while we have the sentiment moving into our favor. The science is backing us, which we've often said that, you know, we don't believe that, you know, a craft is going to land in, you know, Central Park Mm -hmm. or that, you know, we're going to, you know, catch that alien that's going to, you know, come on CNN. (laughs) You know, we believe that we all have always, most of us have always believed that um, science was going to answer tomorrow's physics will tell us everything we need to know. Absolutely. Well, and I've noticed, and tell me what you've seen from your perspective, maybe just in the last, say, five years or so, a shift, even even in the, the, the least scientific headlines, um, from, you know, growing up, it's, you know, at the, there was always those, those wonderful late night shows, you know, is life, is there life on other planets? And it was always spooky. And they had a, yeah. There's like yeah. a theremin in the background and, <laughs> um, you know, those, those, but the, even the articles are like, oh, scientists are certain, you know, like the SETI project. I know I've run the SETI at home program for my computer for, for decades. And in, in the last five years, I've noticed that the, there's been a turn from, is there life out there to the more recent headlines or why haven't we found it yet? Or yes. why it's, it's or the, when. it's the supposition that it's there as opposed to the, well, yes or no, could it be now we're switching over from, from wondering if it's there to believing it's there and wondering why we haven't had a more meaningful contact with it. And it's different institutions, uh, even separate from the scientific community, when you're talking about even religion. You know, the Vatican's mm-hmm. coming out front of the extraterrestrial issue, which is remarkable. Um, yeah, you know, I didn't see that one coming. <laughs> you know, yeah, or they come to the United States um, because they have to build a, an observatory, but it has to be on Mount Graham because they fought the Apache Indians and won, by the way, for years they battled them in court. This was sacred property to, you know, the uh, Apache, you know, native community. Mm-hmm. And good, good thing all that's behind us. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and they have, um, you know, one of the largest observatories in the United States um, with the most advanced telescope on land. And the name of their project is Project Lucifer. Um, okay, oh, that's not going to create some conspiracy theory. <laughs> right. That's not going to wrestle any Jimmys at all. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is, it is, I, I mean, I, I didn't know that myself. And I, I feel like there was a, an interview with the, the head astronomer there in one of Mary Roach's books that's kind of ringing a bell. With me, but is that because Lucifer is the the day star, the morning, star, the star of the morning? The, is that the light? Yeah. Well, when they got a lot of press on it, of course they didn't like it, and um, <laughs> <laughs> how did they not see that one coming? <laughs> you know, if I, it's, I think they forget that you know there's a whole internet out here, and you know people <laughs> have Google search, but they um they have this very strange acronym, and it comes out to that. But, you know, the very first reason they said it was called that is because the first time the Pope ever looked through a telescope, it shocked him and and scared him. And he stepped back and he said, that is the eyepiece of Lucifer. And, of course, you know, they burned 50 million people over it. They burned them alive at the stake for science. But um, they said that that was the reason first. And, you know, it it just had this lineage. Well, when we weren't buying that, because that's ridiculous, why would the Vatican (laughs) Church bring up one of the dark? periods where they're burning scientists alive at the stake and 
you know, so then this strange acronym comes out. I don't even remember anymore, but they're clearly stretching <laughs> for the, you yeah. know, Lucifer yeah. to actually mean something. But even if it was an accurate acronym, you know, it, it just... Come on, you know, sometimes people ask for it, you know, when they're like, what are all these conspiracy theorists? Why is the Vatican Church sitting on one of our native people's most sacred places, battled and won in court, running Project Lucifer, and you don't want me to ask a couple questions? (laughs) Right. Or if they get, uh, guys, Lucifer was generating too many headlines. We've changed it. It's now Project End of Days. Absolutely. It's now Project Revelation. <laughs> right. Uh, right. Uh, uh, Pro- Project Four Horsemen. Uh, Pro- Pro- yeah. Pro- Project uh, Con- Conquest of, uh, of New World Order. No, wait. Yeah. <laughs> it's just crazy. But when you think about the things that are going on like that, you know, big um, observatory, the you know, the Vatican Church, all, you know, all this, and how many people don't know that? It, it's a realization that um, I don't get mad at people that kind of still laugh at the UFO issue. I guess I understand it. I don't know anything about childhood or pediatric medicine. But I bet if I sat with a pediatric surgeon who is innovative and he told me about the latest techniques, I'd be blown away by the science and what they were able to do these days. Right. And I believe that if you, you know, people actually sat down and and talked to a Richard Dolan or, you know, some of the people like myself that have been out here, you know, for decades and garnishing this information, they they would be shocked at the things that are going on around us that we're just not paying attention to because it's not within our daily routine. And um, it's something we'd like to change. You know, that mindset that most of our UFO reports come from, you know, uh, you know, the teenagers drinking moonshine in the backwoods of Tennessee, when the truth is we're talking to astronauts and not one or two, almost all of them, or the cosmonauts coming out of uh, Russia. Uh, we're talking to uh, world leaders that actually held positions of parliament and power within their countries. We're talking to military pilots, police officers, you know, the most credible people that we hand some of our biggest secrets in the world to and trust them with. They're not crazies. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that is a a huge misconception that is not getting helped uh, ever because I feel like if you were to, to put this in terms of TV shows, you know, I think people construe any paranormal investigation in terms of you know uh, uh, bigfoot hunters it's just a, a bunch of guys running around and screaming in the woods or something right uh, whereas <laughs> if 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 that was if you were to to use that metaphor more accurately you know your work is is more like like csi you know it's it is it is a a, a purposeful carefully uh drawn out you know it it, it is not just enthusiasts running amok and hoping things work out ghostbusters style absolutely absolutely with puns yeah it is it is a it is no different than say an archaeological team look going to an area or anything it is it is carefully thought out there are you know it's not i'm doing a terrible job now of of landing this metaphor but (laughs) you get where i'm where i'm going it is it is um it is an actual scientific endeavor and not just uh, a bunch of weirdos that just like to run around and talk about what what UFOs they'd like to dream about. You know, and we're talking about we're investigating things that are not supposed to exist. Right. So we already have a tremendous amount of hurdles and challenges just getting 
you know, to any kind of scientific agenda or scientific investigation. And the fact that we've done that um, and we're looking at the science behind phenomena, um, you know, I keep asking and uh, I get in trouble with uh, Bigfoot people all the time because, you know, Bigfoot's supposed to be a biological creature we just haven't found yet in the United States. And yet all the evidence says mm, something else is going on here because we'll find two or three footprints I'll give it to them. They're strange. They're big. Nobody here made those. The, whatever that is, isn't supposed to be here. It doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And yet, where's the rest of them? We never find a trail of like four miles. Like you can't even with, you know, fossilized tracks of a dinosaur, for goodness sakes. Right. Yeah. You know, so. Our family. Right. So could this be dimensional? We just have to follow the evidence, even if we don't like where it goes. You know, kind of like the UFO phenomena. Are they really coming here on a full tank of gas and a Red Bull? <laughs> I don't know, guys. We have all these amateur astronomers out here, and they're not seeing all these crafts enter, and yet we're catching them on radar, and you know, the military spots them on satellites. Uh, so how are they getting here? Let's discover the science of propulsion, and the physics that they're using, which, of course, I believe will be answered through CERN. Hmm. Is yeah. that is that a huge uh, difficulty when you're doing that research? Because you are, by the nature of that, by thinking about questions of propulsion and, and investigating something that, that you have no good uh, uh, Basis for point. understanding. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, a good foundation in the, in the first part, of a central point to work from. Of, of just conceptually saying, okay, well, it's all on the table. So where do we, how do you approach it when something is that broad? When you have, um, you know, just say, just narrowing it down to propulsion alone, which is what made me think of this. Um, when you're looking at something that could, could be uh, interdimensional travel, it could be faster than light travel. It could be something that we can't conceive of as travel that is still getting them from point A to point B. Um, how do you approach that? Because that's got to be a that's got to be a difficult uh, initial position. You're absolutely right, and I think this is why a group like MUFON um, was not only founded uh, but has lasted. It's the world's largest and oldest uh, UFO organization in the world. It's international. Uh, we have investigators in every country that will allow them. Um, there are some countries that. They're just not allowed to, to do this kind of work, you know, such as China and even Cuba, quite frankly, um, until recently. And, you know, it's a, you work as a task force. You start getting your greatest minds together. You start throwing stuff on the table. In fact, the special assignment team um, that I run in MUFON is the fourth tier of investigation. So when you join MUFON, you have to be, take a test. There's a training manual. There are training classes through MUFON University. And we train you on things that you need to know from astronomy, um, you know, all the, all the factors, uh, even NBC, nuclear biological chemical situations that you may run into. So it's... You take the training, you take a test, and if you pass, um, you become a field, field investigator trainee. And uh, once you have a few investigations under your belt, then you become a field investigator. Um, spend a few years in here and really kill it and, and able to um, collect evidence and actually collect it appropriately uh, so that a lab can use it. You become star team member. But the last stop is SAT team, and that's what I run. And going back to 2000, um, just a couple years ago, I'd have to stop and think, <laughs> I almost said 2011, but it wasn't. Um, 
you know, I was asked to design a brand new investigation model for MUFON. And it's something we've never done before. And thinking about the kind of cases we would be getting from a world population, uh, MUFON gets anywhere between 900 and 1,100 UFO reports a month. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, when when some of these cases are extremely sensitive, high-value targets or high-value witnesses, whistleblowers, some of these cases need to be with specialty teams. So what does a police department do? Like when you have a, a you know, just something big happen, uh, something bigger than normal, well, they create a task force. And that's exactly what I've done. And the special assignment team is a task force. So we throw it all on the table. What the witness says, what are the things we know, what are the clues? And we start constructing exactly what happened. Um, and sometimes that will end up in a science propulsion avenue about, well, how did how did that craft get there or how, how did this event happen and sometimes it ends up into a you know a different arena but it really is you know knowing how to you know triage properly and focus in on the things that you need to get first and the things that are going to make a difference to the witness and actually start answering questions but you can't have 500 people around the earth doing this and and no place to share it so the greatest thing about MUFON is we have the database. All the reports stay right there and have been, you know, forever. So mm. we kind of joke and say, you know, MUFON since, you know, 1969 have been keeping ufologists off the streets. And, uh, <laughs> 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 but, you know, we've grown up a lot. And, um, you know, the community ha- separates itself from the paranormal or the cryptic community for two reasons. One, UFOs are a national security issue. Mm-hmm. So we have a lot of uh, challenges that face us that the paranormal community and, and Bigfoot people don't. Um, and the yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah, the government is not so concerned about the Bigfoot hunters. Right, or a ghost in someone's <laughs> right. home. You know, they watch us like a hawk. Um, if you're a ufologist, you're on at least six different lists by the government. <laughs> if you're doing it right. Absolutely, yeah. if you're doing it right. <laughs> um, you got to have a couple trolls following you. It's just what happens, <laughs> you know. Um, because we all know the tactics of the government is if they can't kill the story. And let's face it, guys, the story is not going away. Right. <laughs> Just yeah. move on alone. <laughs> but uh, if you can't kill the story, discredit the investigator and take out the witness. You know, you just make it a ridiculous so then nobody's listening. And they've been deploying that very, very successful tactic on us for decades. Ugh. And it pisses me off. <laughs> As, As it well should. it should. Yeah, yeah. It's it's frustrating. Do you mm. do you find in your investigation and, and I as I this was one of my questions that I had before we, we started tonight, but I realize it might not be the best question for you to answer. Um, that when you so you have uh, almost a triage system, you have so many reports coming in that you you have to have some sort of rubric for sorting and separating and deciding what moves up and what what is uh, something that you, that requires you know further investigation. Are there are there uh, and please feel free to answer this in whichever direction you'd you'd like. Because on the one hand, I'd like to ask, well, what are the things that really are red flags to you that say this is something we need to look at more? But then again, like any investigator, you might want to withhold that information so as to keep people from adding that just to to get more attention if they were if they were being fraudulent. Or are there anything that you see in an initial report that lets you go, okay, I don't think this is something 
we, we can put this in a lower priority or, or is each one kind of its own individual situation? Absolutely. And, you know, the um, MUFON had a, has a category system that's actually kind of the standard for us now. And, and we adopted the valet classification from Jacques Valet had um, put this out. I th- believe it was the 70s and we've been using it ever since. I can go to Paris, talk to another ufologist and he, he would ask me, so why are you here? Well, I'm, I'm, do, I'm investigating an AN2. He would know exactly what I was talking about. So to have that jargon, but there is, there's, um, you know, the uh, close encounter classifications, close encounter one, two, and, you know, close encounters the of the Heineck third scale. kind, right? The Heineck scale. Yeah. But then we have the Jacques Vallée, and um, we have three different categories. So a Cat 1 would be the lowest priority. Um, typically, we call these lights in the sky we all know they're there. We have a million reports of them. It's, I don't want to say who cares anymore because we are tracking certain things about them, but what are we going to do? It's a light in the sky. <laughs> yeah. um, then you have the next category too, which would be a, you know, an object that somehow was you know, about 500 feet. Um, you know, a good distance. Um, there was a lot more detail that was gleaned in the report or reported by a witness. Um, and then, of course, cat cat three would be, hey, they dropped something. I've got landing marks. You know, so that's physical evidence. Um, uh, trace evidence is would be the number one priority. And the star team in MUFON run, um, works all cat threes. Okay. Yeah. So they're also trained up by the investigation, the investigators themselves at what level. So there's always enough work for everybody. And um, no one ever complains of not being busy and move on. Trust me. We're all like, oh, my God. <laughs> right. That's a now, huge amount of volume. How, how many cases do you personally investigate in a given year? Oh, my gosh. I, I couldn't even count, but... Um, my circumstance is a little different. I work on a task force, but I also work international CAG, which is case assessment group. Um, right now, you know, because Cuba, we just opened relationships with Cuba. We don't have MUFON, doesn't have any representation in MUFON, I mean in Cuba, and yet um, it's opening up. So I am the national director of Cuba. Wow. I'm also the national director of Mexico. I'm, you know, I think chief investigator of Brazil. So, um, you, you rule Central America. <laughs> yeah, kind of. It's like if something's <laughs> going on, you know, I'm going to be one of the first people to um, investigate it. But um, I, I couldn't even guess. But on an average, couple hundred. Wow. Yeah, and that's I still have investigations I do independently. Um, you know, like the Star Child skull and you know, working on the elongated skulls in Peru and Bolivia with LA and you know, so I'm I'm still kind of busy out here doing other things as well. Yeah. Wow. Now have you seen any patterns emerge across cases in your investigations? Yes. And it's also the great advantage of having a database where we can run algorithms and run um you know, certain things, uh, you two could, you know, just Google up MUFON, uh, get on the site and search for things. You could put in um, how many triangles were in Kentucky last year, and they'll give you a number and wow. give you those cases. So, yeah, we are, you know, we kind of joke and say our days of sniffing dirt are over because... <laughs> <laughs> Because we, we do have these answers. You know, we, we have um, these surveys. We have the data. We have a lot of information that we're, you know, using now, um, you know, versus back in the day when Betty and Barney Hill first came out and, you know, told of their story about being abducted. You know, it was mm-hmm. this amazing story that, um, 
you know, no matter how many times they've tried to, you know, bash it down, <laughs> there's trace evidence, you know, and, uh, you know, Betty copied a star system. She asked them where they were from, and they used that, that little illustration against her for years and years and years because she was wrong. She drew something. They didn't know what the hell it was. It was like, that's crazy. Obviously, you don't know what you're talking about. You know, they weren't aliens. They used that against her until about seven years ago when they found two of the planets, and she was absolutely right back in 1962. So, mm. you know, these are the things that we know now, but you have to be a ufologist kind of following these things. And um, so we are learning. Uh, there's a lot of information we've gleaned. And, you know, of course, like any big phenomena, this isn't just you know, craft coming in or flying over D.C. where you had all those uh, witnesses, hundreds of witnesses standing outside watching these crazy, you know, orange orbs and these, you know, things fly over the Capitol in 1952, you know, or Battle of L.A. Right. You know, these are things that they just don't go away because they remain unexplainable even to this day with the things we know we'll go back and open reopen a cold case or we'll open um you know a case that's you know just usually on an anniversary you know roswell's coming up right the big anniversary of roswell you know and we have to be careful in a lot of ways we're losing some of our witnesses so it's always nice to revisit them and ask them have you remembered anything else or how about some of the challenge questions? Because we're not doing our job if we're not challenging some of this information. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we do. We do a lot. Well, and also, just that makes a really good point that you are creating a historical record, an indexed historical record. Because if, if every uh, encounter was taken at face value, um, the way that we're all familiar with it, where it's a 48-hour news item and then disappears forever, then what happens 30 years later when uh, the astrophysicists say, hey, we did find those two more planets. Right. Well, where, wasn't there a picture? I don't know. And then everyone moves on. And you don't get to, you don't get to corroborate later on with more information. So that's, that's just a huge library Resource. of evidence. Yeah, yeah, just to have for, for all ongoing investigations because you're 100% right. You don't know what some, something, you know, like you were saying before with, with the scientific uh, study, you don't know what next year's science is going to do to last year's evidence. Well, exactly right. And, and even in evidence alone, I was just talking to, you know, another investigator a couple of days ago, and they're like, well, we're not really getting the evidence cases. I'm like, you guys aren't paying attention. Because <laughs> honestly, you know, every single person that claims an entity touched them or every person that claims that you know um that sphere or that orange orb you know touched that tree or landed in a farmer's yard they have a thing now it's called touch dna and you know if we're not deploying the latest tactics in science and detection then we're going to miss out too right but we were smart enough when we started collecting our forensics um, I was just down in Peru with L.A. Marzuli, who is uh, the quarterback carrying that ball down, investigating <laughs> scientifically and having the elongated skulls actually examined for the first time ever. And, you know, through DNA and solid, um, you know, scientific institutions. And, you know, I took almost 200 samples. Are we going to test 200 samples? Heck no, that crap's expensive. But <laughs> what I did do was properly process 
samples that we could keep year after year after year because if 20 years from now we can go back and now have you know something that could discover even more in what we gathered um, and of course I take that off of what the police have been doing you know in the 70s they started taking rape kits they couldn't do anything yeah. with the rape kits yet but they knew it was coming yeah yeah that's, that's for, awesome. foresight at its best <laughs> and and that's a great segue in, into the elongated skulls uh, in which you traveled to Peru with Mr. Marzuli, who is an author and filmmaker, and he's done a lot of research into the Nephilim of the Bible and how there may be a cover-up of the remains of them. This is where you get kind of like the giant skeletons and things like that. Well, part of his work includes researching elongated skulls and their possible connection to this ancient race of giants, or at least the emulation of such. Can you Tell us a little bit about your time there and what you were able to, uh, to find. It, it was so incredible because um, the first time I was down there, I sat in a room with Dr. Aaron Judkins and Joe Taylor, and we unwrapped a 2,000-year-old infant mummy for the first time ever, and we only had his little head. And we could tell um, from the mummy wrappings it was elongated. And, of course, if we found an infant with an elongated head... It, cradle boarding or cranial deformation takes a while so they were born this way so this is why it was very important that we got down and, and were able to take our samples um, so this is some of the stuff that we're doing is we're actually in the back room of a legitimate museum although it was a private museum legally being the first people to see this little you know the remains of this little being for 2,000 years and he was obviously a royal um, because closer we we were taking um, the wrapping materials off so the closer we got the more detail in the textiles it was just remarkable but what we're doing is um, taking as much DNA as we can you know we take uh, uh, interior cranial powder we take hair um, if we can get a tooth we like to have that as well and we just do the best scientific examination um, for everything because are all of the skulls literally from a cranial deformation or could it be that some of them were born that way and the ones that they were emulating so the further back we go but what LA um, found out in the first batch of the DNA that we took was there was, um, you know, the Paracas people, no one knows really where they came from, and they were rumored to be white-skinned, red-headed people. And, and is this where, where we get the um, the kind of uh, side story of Veracocha? Is that the same? Absolutely. Like, okay. some of these things come in because, you know, you in Bolivia, uh, standing at Pumapuku, you know, um, I, we're, we're standing there, and... You know, first, um, have you guys ever watched the movie Spinal Tap by anybody? Oh, yeah. Sure. Okay, so remember when they wanted that great big megalithic um, Stonehenge <laughs> monument oh, yeah. brought down and it was little? Yeah. You got stuck in one. Oh, so I'm <laughs> walking, I'm walking into uh, Pumapuku and I'm like, I've got to see these age blocks. I've seen them on you know TV for forever and i expected these great big h shaped blocks <laughs> i swear they're two and a half foot tall and i had a spinal tap moment right there i'm like those are the h i'm like those are the h blocks really 
but there's, um, a, there's a YouTube video of you just dancing around them as best you can. <laughs> absolutely, right? And but you know, the Gate of the Sun's there, and of course, you know, uh, Veracocha, um, you know, is the creator of all and the god of Bolivia, and um, you know, somebody that they still believe uh, was their creator, and you know, he's, he's got a beard <laughs> and yeah. you know, a lot of the statues. So, you know, we're just trying to investigate why, um, where, where did this indigenous people come from? And, you know, why do we have reports of white skinned, redheaded people in Peru when it's indigenously, they don't belong there. Well, doing the DNA on the little infant, um, it turned out he comes from the Middle East shocker oh. what yeah. yeah yeah so it has taken us into a unique place we didn't expect to go but it follows the levant so it's shocking uh, news in archaeology uh, for ufo people like me not so much i'm just like Hey, any alien at all in that thing? Just ask it, right? <laughs> right. But no, these are these are big discoveries, and what we find is, thank goodness, we do not know everything there is to know. We don't know what's under our dirt. We don't know what's in our oceans, and we certainly don't know what possibly could be out there. Thank yeah. goodness we still have mysteries, or we're <laughs> stuck with Donald and Hillary for the rest of our <laughs> lives. Right. Uh, I would God. much rather. I would much rather hear about mysteries. <laughs> right. Oh man, where did the where did the remains of uh, this baby come from? Where they got the mummy itself? Yes, it was in a necropolis, um, and I, I I was at that necropolis, um, and it's completely littered. It's in Chongos completely littered with human remains everywhere because what happens is uh, the archaeology department or the ministry of culture just doesn't have the staffing to go through and um, you know protect all these pyramids i mean lima alone the city and capital of peru has over a thousand uh, they just uncovered one that I, honestly for the last almost 20 years was a motorcycle track and here is this oh, ancient, beautiful pyramid underneath it. So, you know, and, and that's what happens. So, you know, the further um, in country you get, uh, especially heading for the Andes and, um, you know, the big um, jungle, uh, especially at the at the boot hills, um, you have some of the most incredible uh, discoveries. But, hmm. yeah, it came from a, a little necropolis, which was funny because... Um, the Waqueros get in there and they take a big pole and they just walk the desert. And this is a, a vast desert for as, as long as your eyes can see, all you see is sand. And they just walk. And if they hear something break, it's usually a clay pot and they'll dig. And they're not looking for the elongated skulls. Um, these are always picked up on top because we don't dig. Um, that would be illegal, right? So, you know, ah. we would never do that. But, you know... They literally throw these bones and all the remains up, but they're taking off all the gold, the jewel, and, you know, very precious things because the reason they're looking for elongated skulls is because we know only the royals or those that were free were allowed to elongate their skulls. The slaves were not. Oh, uh, so they're so they're 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 looking for perhaps the things buried with those remains, not necessarily any interest in the remains themselves. Absolutely, and uh, you know, it, it's just strange to be walking and, and you know just stepping over bones that are just deteriorating on top of the surface but it, it was if sobering it was a very heavy feeling uh, working in that area for hours and 
you know, as we're looking for the elongated skulls, because at this point, once they're on top, kind of free reign. Um, museums don't want them anymore. They have thousands of them because they're all over the place, especially Bolivia. I mean, all over South America. And there could be more out uh, there. Oh, yeah. I mean, oh. they, they're everywhere. And um, we were still finding them. Uh, the last time we were down there, um, which was just a couple months ago, um, actually in October. It was in October. Uh, we went down. Um, we were invited by the Peruvian Ministry of Culture to take uh, DNA samples because I promise you guys, they don't have these tools. And yeah. I have a forensic kit that would make the sheriff's department jealous. So, you know, <laughs> I honestly, I can lay down a clean room, get all our stuff out. The uh, curator and the archaeologists were all coming in, taking photos of us, and they kept saying, CSI, CSI. <laughs> Put the glasses on. Put the glasses on. <laughs> yeah, because that's what we looked like, and they were so fascinated, you know, because we had the you know individually wrapped swabs and, you know, the distilled water and how we took the samples and all the professional equipment and, you know, um, it just the process that we use um, with the sterilized gloves. You have to change those yeah. constantly. Well, I'm glad I said it earlier then. Woo! I got in <laughs> on the ground floor. <laughs> It's, yeah, this is, this is some good stuff. And to be invited by a museum and to t take samples of their ancestry for them mm -hmm. for the first time in history, you know, and nothing like coming home to, you know, headlines, um, DNA proves Nephilim. You know, you want to choke these people. It's like, <laughs> oh, first of all, we just got back for the first time yeah. ever. <laughs> And <laughs> yeah. second of all, how are you ever going to prove Nephilim? We don't have a Nephilim. You guys get right. that, right? But, you know, again, <laughs> with those fake news stories and these, you know, proclamations and headlines. Well, and it's and it's so good to have you doing that research. I was just discussing this uh, with my fiance the other day about how her, her mother, uh, I think, is three quarters Native American. And for the for the heck of it, they did one of those. Um, uh, DNA test genealogy type things. And it turns out that the, the companies who do this don't have, uh, they're very, very Europe, uh, Eurocentric, very Europe focused. And so her genealogy map was just the entire North and South of America, just North and South America. They're like, well, it's from here. Literally, the the continents of North and South America, they're like, wow, that's almost there. unheard of. Right. And so because they didn't, because of her Native American heritage, they, they just like, I don't know, somewhere over there. And it's so good to see that people doing focused research in areas. And, and obviously, you know, it's a, a commercial enterprise. It's got, you know, I don't think they're, they're work, working the best labs in the world. You know, they're just making money off of it and maybe telling some story about your, uh, you know, Yugoslavian heritage or something. <laughs> right. but, but it's, it's so good that there's just like what you described, like very specific, uh, and well taken samples to then be, uh, uh analyzed at a later date. And then we can talk about the Nephilim, which I'm sure you will uh, announce any day now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <Yeah>. And <laughs> you know, there's, you know, we get aggravated because I'm also lead investigator on the Starchild skull, which mm -hmm. was most um, famous 
and traveled with Lloyd Pye, who was the researcher and really the main um, investigator for 16 years on this skull. And unfortunately, he passed away. And after two years, um, you know, the owner of the skull reached out and asked if I would help finish, you know, what was started because they still want an answer. And, you know, we're finding, you know, that there's ethics in some of this as well, which is, you know, this little skull is from Mexico. And, you know, just like Peru, there was a little rub. L.A. LA Marzulli doesn't get nearly the credit he deserves because he single-handedly just cultivated this this cooperation between these investigators that just scientifically go out there and investigate things that are not supposed to exist and the entire ministry of of culture and these scientists in peru they don't want the americans coming down messing with their ancestors they don't need our help right that was exactly what we faced when we first got down there and la's generosity and single-handedly he's the only guy on the phone talking to these people and we were invited down for the first time they opened their back room they selected the most anomalous skulls that they had out of the thousands and um, pretty much gave us unprecedented access to the back room they were more generous than we thought they were going to be. We wanted them to be a little more generous um, <laughs> with a few things because there was one skull we really felt like if we had the tooth, we could uh, get a little more. But through all our work, we find that, you know, in ancient DNA, the first thing that, um, well, atherpy or the first part of uh, the genetics that goes is going to be the mitochondrial and or the nucleus DNA, mm-hmm. which usually tells you who the dad is. So over the years, we've had these benighted headlines, which they couldn't find the you know nucleus DNA, so it must be alien, right? Because oh, <laughs> it's unknown. And the computer only knows how to generate um, things in the data bank or what they call um, you know a push mm-hmm. or a blast. So they're doing this big DNA blast, uh, going through the, the record to see if they can find a match. And if it, it doesn't come up with one, it doesn't say, oh, darn it, you guys didn't get it. There wasn't enough material for me to analyze mitochondrial. Um, it just comes up and says, ah, we don't know what the mitochondrial is. So, of course, hence the big, uh, we have aliens now and hybrids. And it's just not true. Yeah, that's how they get you. Yeah. And, you know, so now that the DNA testing is is more profound, it's more accurate, um, we do have to use specialized labs because these are ancient remains, which is a little different testing than, you know, the 23andMe, which you were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and there's a lot more detail. You know, we're measuring bones and weighing in grams. And, you know, for every sample we take, it's weighed out. And, you know, it's such a process. But we have to follow the scientific methods or we're not going to end up with admissibility in the end. Why spend all the money on the tools, the trip, the hotel, all the travel, everything that we do, if we're not going to do the process right, get it home and a lab says, where's your chain of custody? Oh, our what? Right. Or if we didn't properly weigh the sample so that when we got it back, we know that we got that they tested exactly what we sent them and that we can prove that because a skeptic and the public deserve that ability to scrutinize every step we took in our investigation. And we have to prove that 
we owe it to them. We can't expect people to just take our word for it. That's ridiculous. Yeah. So, you know, not skipping a step and really focusing in on how do we do this right? Um, that's really what's going to get us ahead in the end. And I think what impressed the Peruvian government that they invited us back down and, you know, I'm, I'm the one that sets up all the DNA and gets everything set. And, you know, when the cameras roll, I hand the little swab to L.A. and them and they do their little thing because, you know, they're the rock stars. <laughs> I like to be in the background. <laughs> and and that's a good thing. And, you know, then they'll hand me the swab and I start processing and getting it to the lab. It's pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome. That is pretty amazing. And, and I like that you uh, follow the scientific method because, as you said, you know, it's admissibility either you prove yes there is something or no there isn't something you know a lot of people these days are so concerned with the yes part they they kind of brush off the no part which is still science it's like yeah we we have proven that no there's nothing to this you know that's still a, that's still an outcome that you can have and a good outcome so. absolutely because we have one more answer and we don't go down that path again and waste any more time. It's, you know, just an investigator will follow a clue if it leads to a brick wall. Thank goodness we've got an answer. Now we, we could do yeah. something else. <laughs> and I, you're right, guys. That's exactly the attitude. But I've got some tests done on the star child skull. And, of course, it's very popular. So we get a lot of hits and, you know, people that inquire about it. But there's 10 times more hits on the... DNA proves Nephilim. Mm, oh, you know, the guy right. sells tour tickets down in Peru. And yet, this is what he offers. Nothing. A geneticist emailed me, and this is the quote. And he'll put a quote. He doesn't tell you who the geneticist is. He doesn't tell you where the lab is. He doesn't show you the email. And people swallowed it hook, line, and sinker. I'm just like, um, oh, yeah. you know, I think there's got to be a chase in every crowd. And, yeah. you know, I'm the one that back in the day walking around with Moses. Man, it wouldn't have been 40 years. After about five, I would have tapped him and said, hey, Mo, can I see that map for a minute? You know, you've got to ask questions. You've just got to be like, can I check that data? Yeah, I just just want to take a quick peek. Just a quick Yeah, peek. let me just have a look. But you know what's fun about those guys is that um, we do the same thing with the skeptics. They don't get to come up and say, oh, that's a screenshot, or that's CGI, or that's bull crap, blah, blah, blah. They don't get to do that anymore because yeah. that's not what they allow me to do. <laughs> if I'm going to put something out, it is scrutinized. I have to put out every detail, that scientific process. So now, buddy, you can't come back and do that to me. I want to know the science behind your claims. Yeah, yeah. And this is this, this, is this new standard where kind of backlashing with which is helping with the disinformation and the debunking enough so when you know people like myself and you know there's another researcher that's you know a really great guy and he's been working out here for decades named Isaac you know when we start getting attacked out here we we circle our wagons like you know pioneers <laughs> because we know what it's about we know what it's about and nobody nobody needs to be hurt or families destroyed or reputations ruined yeah over aliens and ufos if there's not something to it <laughs> yeah. i would i would i think that you should have instead of you know the famous uh fox Mulder, i want to believe poster maybe the same picture but 
um, I'm willing to do the research that may or may not affect what you believe. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, you know what my motto is this this whole year is, and, and I even have it on our website, uh, thefieldreports.com. Um, I have an article, and I, I put it on the back of my jacket. It's embroidered. It says, science doesn't care what you believe. Nice. Yeah. Scientifically, we're proving the reality of UFOs and, and extraterrestrial presence coming to this earth. Uh, science doesn't care whether you guys believe us or not. So, you know, kind of, excuse me, move out of my way. Excuse me. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and, I love and, that. And you even say inadmissible. Uh, you know, it's good to be skeptic about stuff. It's good to be skeptical because then you're approaching things with an open mind, but you're also thinking critically about it. But the debunkers are are the ones who have an agenda. They're out to discredit you more than anything. And it's it's kind of a pain in the ass. And I can only imagine, you know, what you guys go through when you're trying to actually do good science with this. I would advise anybody who is interested in being a uh, an investigator to grab a copy of Admissible because you describe it as the first field manual addressing the core of investigation tactics and case management for the most conclusive files and results for the modern and professional investigator of unknown phenomenon. And I think if um, if anybody's serious about pursuing uh, investigation into unknown topics, this is hands down a must-have for them because you detail how to approach cases from initial witnessing to investigation to conclusion and the, the equipment, demeanor, and case management that you need in between. And I'm glad you said, you know, when you saw this congressional hearing, that's what made you go out and say, you know what, <laughs> we need something to like kind of codify what everybody needs to be doing. You know, we need to to really have uh, a manual for people to follow. So uh, what I got uh, out, of, out of reading it were be safe, be smart, be professional. And it seems to me like case management and being just being a decent human are, are paramount to any investigation. But then, you know, you've, you've got each case that's different and requires an ample breadth of skills depending on each situation. So, well, if we deal with the different types of populations, let's face it, guys. Um, and I don't like to say I investigate UFOs cause, because I don't. I do not investigate UFOs. I investigate UFO reports. And um, I really... You know, there are times when you're going to be faced with people that um, aren't as mentally stable as, you know, we want our witnesses to be. Mm. It doesn't mean it didn't happen, but I can no longer use them as a witness. But there are times when it would be easy to be frustrated and, uh, you know, yell at them or reprimand them for wasting your time. or And we just have to remember that, you know, these people if they've witnessed something so extraordinary, usually it changes them somehow, some way, even if they're scared or they don't want to talk about it, something happens. Mm -hmm. um, and who are they going to call? Yeah, right. Can't dial 911. Fire department's not going to help you. The government certainly isn't. You know, so they get online and they Google investigators and somehow they get your name. First of all, it's an honor and a privilege that they chose you because there are many out here. Number two, you don't want to let them down. You're not going to, um, you have to be very dispassionate and, you know, um, understand that they're not looking for a good old, a, a new best friend. They need help. They want an answer and they want an investigation. So let's give them that with the most professionalism we can. Whether it's a ghost hunt 
or you know somebody saw you know Loch Ness monster in you know the back of their pool it doesn't matter if you're going to take that case you treat everyone you come into contact because it's a privilege every time your phone rings yeah right and and I like that you point out that you need to be cognizant that some of these encounters may be traumatic for people and and you really need to to handle it professionally and you know cuz you like you said you might be the the only line not even the first line that they have to to turn to you might be the only one so, right and yeah. whatever we do to them will you know could scar them even further right. and you know i think the thought of any investigator um you know hurting a witness or or sending them down the wrong path you know and sometimes we have to be firm Sorry, guys, it's a bug. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. uh, you know, the science says the investigation and they insist that it's an orb and they'll go on. It's okay. It's their experience. I don't own this stuff. It's not personal. Yeah. I, you know, I can't, um, you know, take on their experiences. First of all, you know, th- there's enough people. Um, I've had people ask me, where are all your investigations? You never put your name on it. Like most people have a big list of everything they've done. They're not my experience. I'm just the investigator. Right. These people, it's their story to tell. So I'm not going to put it in every book or, you know, on my website. Um, people are, the cases that they are interested in, like, hey, what are we doing with the star child skull? Because I thought I'd let them in on the process so they could come with us and follow the journey and Carrie, uh, my partner on the field reports, is a riot because she goes to New York and she goes to obscurity, which, of course, has crazy skulls, right? Mm-hmm. And she writes the cutest little blog about, you know, walking in and, you know, just it's bumbly. It's funny, but we're real people, um, you know, just kind of letting the audience know you can still have a little fun with it, too. And <laughs> um, so we're putting stories out there and just writing about what we're doing. Oh, if, if anybody can appreciate talking about uh, this kind of stuff and keeping it a little light, uh, I think <laughs> I think you're talking to them. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> do you think, now, do you, uh, this is something that um, one of the, I think, uh, hypotheticals that you had in the book, it made me think of. Do you think it's bad that some people can be presented with clear-cut evidence of non-paranormal or UFO activity and then they refuse to believe it and choose to believe that it's ghosts and aliens. Do you think that's, in in essence, bad? <laughs> um, I, I, yes, in a certain way, because then what happens is it, it we see a pattern in some people that uh, you know they come. What I, I coined the term and I use it in the book, a perichondriac. <laughs> you know that every bump in the night whether it's you know a cat jumping from the couch downstairs that poltergeist <laughs> right every noise is a ghost everything that moves in the sky is a ufo you know every you know time you wake up and you feel a little groggy headed you were abducted um mm. you know there's a perichondria that that can form or it's almost a darkness that can um envelop when you're researching um another um, advice I give in the book is be careful of the rabbit holes yeah. because sometimes you get into these deep topics and it's hard to find your way out. And especially in the UFO phenomena, I mean, you know, you go in everywhere in every direction from the secret space program to reptilians, you know, living, you know, subterranean under my home. So, <laughs> you know, it, you need to be really careful if you're going to choose to 
accept something even when you know scientifically you're told it's not how it is but and guys when you think that like out of a hundred cases we get 95 percent of them are solvable Sure. Yeah. You know, so we're talking about 5% of the things that are reported. Now, you'd think that 95% of the reports at MUFON, well, they must be jokers or hoaxers or fakes. No, not really. They honestly don't know what that is. But, you know, that's one of the latest drones or that's a new satellite or, you know, the wedding down the road, you know, launched, you know, 14... Chinese lanterns. Right. Or, <laughs> you know, but... I never give a witness, I never take away what they claim they they saw. If you can't prove what it is or scientifically acknowledge that this is more probable and you have to word it that way, but if you're just like, yeah, it was Chinese landers, don't worry about it. You know, you're just as bad as anyone else and, you know, hopefully your phone doesn't ring anymore, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, and I imagine that those people, uh, there are people that appreciate Going, man, this was really causing me some anguish, and I'm I'm glad that we I know what it is. I That's mean, mostly what we get. Um, yeah. I I only have one case where um, you know, I thought the witness was really going down a bad path, and you know, his life has suffered for it, and there's nothing I can do because as an investigator, I have to learn to let go. Yeah. Um, a lot of times when you're with these witnesses, you're the first person in decades sometimes that they've ever been able to tell. So you'll get everything about them. Mm. And that type of relationship, um, they feel very close to you. So I warn in the book as well uh, to maintain that professionalism and that little bit of dispassionate um, scrutiny. You know, if you go to their house and they offer you dinner, the answer is no. Yeah. Um, a cop wouldn't sit down and eat a piece of cake. You know, I'm not going to sit down. And it's not that I don't want the cake. I'm probably hungry. Most of the times I am. But <laughs> I you very know, much want the cake. <laughs> or I really fall in love with these people. Some of the families we deal with are just amazing, extraordinary little families. And it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with what happens to them when I no longer give them the attention. Because while I'm hot in a case, you know, they're the center of everything. Mm -hmm. yeah. But when I have to cut them loose because I have another case and I'm now moving on, they feel abandoned a little because for the first time they've gotten to kind of release everything they've had to hold in or no one believed them or, you know, it's, it's something that we do um, uh, to protect our witnesses in the end. We yeah. cannot do any more harm and we have to be professional. Um, it's just the best way for everybody. Well, well, I imagine that you're you kind of take the place of a of a confessor or a counselor because you're, you're right. These are, this is something that most of these people have held in or at least not fully disclosed until finally in walks a MUFON investigator and they that that feeling like you get this. I can finally tell you everything, and no one you're not going to laugh at me. It, that's exactly what happens, and um, more more times than not. Um, it's not through the initial interview on the phone. Once they see your face and they realize that you are um, paying attention, they, you know, you can when you're talking to somebody, are are they looking at you? You know, what's their body language, and you know, and they understand that I'm there to um, take their account. Do I believe everybody that's telling me a story? 
probably 90% of the time, unless I have a reason not to, because most of the time we're not getting a lot of hoaxes or people really doing this on purpose and wasting time. So what we get are people that believe what they saw is this is it. I, I know I saw an alien. Um, it turns out it may not be an alien and they actually saw, you know, a balloon their kids left on the floor that floated up because the heat came on, right? But the initial report is that's what they believe they saw. So sometimes, you know, you're walking that thin line of, you know, their belief and what they know they, I know what I saw, right? And the reality, but we still cannot patronize or lie to a witness. You have to give them everything you have. But if you're not doing your job, Yes, be nervous to do so. But if you have yeah. done your job and you have done due diligence, you can hand them that case file with the utmost confidence that your work is going to stand the scrutiny of anywhere they take it, whether they personally accept it at that moment or not. Yeah. Well, I think the book is just an invaluable resource because a lot of people who maybe want to investigate anomalous things, they maybe don't realize there's <laughs> a lot to it and they haven't thought of a game plan and, and things to keep in mind, which I think the book lays out just in spades. Or, or even alternatively, someone who is not inclined to, you know, who thinks that, that the, the entirety of, of paranormal investigation is a hoax. Um, it, it's a good read in that case to, to say, no, no, there is a, this is, this is not uh, a game to us. We're not just messing around or playing right. pretend. You know, it, it establishes the, the seriousness with which you guys approach it. Yeah. Well, thank you for that, because my biggest pet peeve are these stupid TV shows where, you know, you see them all on four wheelers and they run out to the field. And I, I, we would never do that. Right. The, the, the night vision camera six inches from your face uh, as you huff and puff. And <laughs> exactly. Is, what, was uh, what was that? What was that? And, and I'm, I'm laughing, thinking, well, first of all, you know, we know, first of all, if it comes from space, it's probably got, uh, you know, microscopic bacteria and viruses on it. So, yeah, let's <laughs> run right out and grab that. <laughs> and, uh, and if it is extraterrestrial, uh, probably has a propulsion system that's most likely nuclear or like it. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. So, you know, let's just run up. And how many stories have we heard, like Cash Landrum, you know, that reported seeing a, a diamond-shaped craft in Texas and her grandson was in the back and, you know, it flew over her. The woman suffered horrible radiation poisoning and burns and suffered a horrible illness for the rest of her life. Not worth it, guys. Let's right, just right. stand back a little, <laughs> photograph all the, you know, government vehicles that show up. <laughs> you know, I've got my little telescopic lens in the back. Like, oh, I got you, MIB. I got that license right. plate. <laughs> Who else is responding? But the other people I'm going to feel very responsible for is, you know, things like uh, Kecksburg in Pennsylvania. You know, when a craft goes down and the townspeople come out, but then the cops come out and your first responders, if you know that there's a danger, you're definitely going to tell them, Yeah. you know, you're going to stand out there. You're going to start getting on your phone to 911 and you'll tell them, look, guys, I, you know, I'm an investigator. I heard about it. I found it. I, my Geiger counter is blowing up right now. You guys want to bring hazmat. <laughs> you know, right. so, yeah. but UFO investigating, um, completely different than, uh, you know, like a ghost hunt. You can run into the other room because you hear a noise. Probably don't want to do that in most of our investigations. <laughs> right. Yeah, there are consequences. 
Now, speaking of, of government vehicles, in your work, in, in your all your years of investigating stuff, did you ever have an incident of, of intimidation or coercion by the government or people claiming authority? Yes, and yes and no, but I'm, I'm tenacious. I'm kind of like a door kicker, so, <laughs> and I'm cocky, and I'm old, and I'm grumpy. So <laughs> I honestly... You're the perfect weapon. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? So, you know, I even had like the FBI, I... I interviewed a guy on the radio and he was Russian and we were talking about a sleep program and a sleep study that they're doing. Well, I get it. I guess you don't want, you know, people with top secret security clearances joining his sleep group. But, you know, I get that. This is the FBI calling in. Uh, you know, we need to talk to you about how you know him. I'm like, uh, internet search, looking for <laughs> right. sleep study experts. Uh, like, I've got, a, I've got a top secret agent named Google who helps yeah. <laughs> me with these things. <laughs> and it's kind of my attitude where it's like, you know, well, first of all, don't call me on the phone. It's kind of how this ended where I want your badge or, well, I'll tell you what, give me your name, your badge ID, and let me call the office and go through, you know, proper authorities to vet that you are who you say you are. Or if you try to get, you know, people who intimidate you out here, it's, I see a, a car following me and it's making me nervous. I'm so on 911 saying, oh my gosh, I'm driving all by myself and I'm really scared because I think these mean guys are behind me and they're following me and oh my God, right? I'm not going to say, look, I think I've got MIB on my tail or, <laughs> you know, government. You know, I, I, we have to be smart, but I think I'm just really trying to outwit, outlast, outplay out here. And we do have things that happen where evidence disappears and... Um, you go out to a scene and people are there first. We hear these stories all the time. We seem to have a, an intimidation campaign going on. If you guys um, really want to understand the realities that the government is paying attention to the UFO investigators out here, great documentary uh, called Mirage Men. And um, Doty, um, Richard Doty comes out and he is a former uh, Air Force intelligence officer that fully admits that, you know, they contact UFO people and use this, you know, the patriotism. He says, we look for patriots and we look for people <laughs> who love their country. And their families. <laughs> yes. And we're feeding them information that we want them to go out and, and tell the public and, and give to the UFO community. You know, and, and he targeted Linda Moulton Howe, which is one of our trailblazers, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, they bring her to a military base and put her in this room and tell her, you know, you've got one hour and you can't take any photos, or you can't take any notes, but I'll let you read as much as you can in that hour. And, you know, she's feeling like, oh, wow, you know, this is great. And there was some really good stuff they gave her. And he comes out later and she, you know, for two years, she talks about this. Who wouldn't, right? We'd all be like right. telling sure. everything we know. We don't keep secrets, especially someone else's out here. Um, we keep our integrity that way. And two years later, she finds out it was all nothing. They set her up. So Richard Doty on this documentary actually admits that while well, he was done at that point and my program was over because Linda did the one thing no one else has ever done to him. They called she called me out by name. <laughs> so, oh. <laughs> you know, which is brilliant because this guy can't go anywhere anymore and, and, and hurt any more ufologists. But, you know, leave it to the girls, right? Just saying. <laughs> leave it to the girls that are just like, you know, I'm not buying it, dude. And, 
it's going to take more than you coming up in your little black suit telling me get out of my car. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Do you uh, love that? Do you have any single UFO case or or maybe a cryptid or any anything any single case that stands out to this day makes you go, wow, there's there's something undeniably strange going on there. Yeah, there there's is several actually, um, and unfortunately. Um, you know, my favorite stories are kind of the crazy kooky ones, but, uh-huh. um, th- th- they're just hysterical. The situations we get into because a witness has reported seeing something and next thing you know, like I'm on the phone with Shirley McLean. So, I mean, you know, th- <laughs> it just things that happen that, you know, you just shrug your shoulders and roll with it because life is awesome. But, um, you know, there was one and it's a paranormal story and I've got them in all the fields, um, you know, I'm I'm out there all the time and you can't be out there as often and as long as I've been doing it and, and not see things. But right, right. probably um, the one thing I'll never forget that I still think about, and again, there are many, but this one was actually in my home and I've never really had like haunted houses or anything like that. But there's a theory that sometimes when you're out here and you see through the veil, that you almost get those glimpses and in some way it haunts you a little that you know once you kind of pass through a little um they can see you too but it was shortly after you know a a pretty decent investigation and you know being a woman i'm in the bathroom you know after a shower drying my hair and i'm kind of bent over and i grab my blow dryer and i'm blowing my hair upside down like women do right and all of a sudden i just stand up and my hair flies and flips up and there is a man literally standing right in back of me and i was so shocked because i'm thinking oh my gosh like he is uh, i i was so shocked so i dropped to the floor and the minute i i kind of scrunched down i I dropped my blow dryer i'm like oh my gosh i just lost the only weapon i have i remember (laughs) reaching over grabbing my blow dryer pulling it out the plug out of the wall so hard i i twisted the whole thing out and it bent like kind of came out the whole thing but uh, I'm wrapping the cord around my hand with the blow dryer and the other one and I'm like tensed up every muscle is like uh, tense and on fire because I'm waiting for him to hurt me yeah grab me what are you doing and I, I kind of looked under my arm and I looking back at me and I don't see him I'm thinking oh god he's in my bedroom you know so I walk out of my bathroom I'm in the bedroom and nothing and I see my dog at the top of the stairs and then it hits me. Well, first of all, how to get in my house because the doors are locked. Yeah. You know, I'm very security conscious. My dogs would have been barking like crazy and, you know, high and jumping on them anyway. What just happened? Guys, he was so solid and real. And I'll even go and I'll even tell you the detail. When I threw, he looked just like you, Flora. He looked just like you. Oh, no. Right, right. <laughs> but, you know, I caught his eye. And I could tell he saw me too. And he was surprised. He kind of looked and his eyes got big and he kind of, and, and I jumped down and then he was gone, I guess. And so I'm just sitting on the bed and I'm, I'm realizing he was so real to this day, I could pick him out of a lineup. I know wow. exactly wow. what he looked like. I was so shocked to see somebody standing there. He was solid. I know exactly every detail of his face. And yet I saw him for just a split second. 
And so I end up, I'm sitting on the bed just to calm down for a minute. And I start giggling thinking, you know, somewhere in a different dimension, there is a man <laughs> calling his wife right now saying, I just saw the most <laughs> horrific thing I've ever seen in my life. All of a sudden, this woman pops with this black flying hair everywhere right into my space. <laughs> I swear she was going to kill me. She was going to kill me with that blow dryer. She was exactly. going to kill me. Like, I don't know what she had in her hand, but it was creepy like a gun-looking thing. <laughs> she, she, she had a year 3000 ray gun and was ready to disintegrate me. <laughs> yeah. There were some, you know, out of there's just things that happen, and that was something I think that stands out because it was personal, and it was the first time. Um, you know, it took me months that you just kind of lays in the back of your mind that every time your car is quiet and you're on a road by yourself or, you know, the, the house is quiet, you're doing dishes oh, yeah. and you realize, you know, your mind goes right back to what was that? And it, it was real. And, you know, you start trying to dissect how that could be. And is it because I'm out here? Is it because I've seen things? Um, is it because um, I've witnessed things or you know, had things happen. There was another time we were working a case in um, South Carolina, I'm sorry, North Carolina. There was like nine of us in this group and it's kind of a long story and I'll make it really short, but there was this little tiny batch of woods um, next to these major power lines and it was a big hub station. So it's the little woods that they put between the power lines and, and homes to eat up some of that high EMF. You know what I'm talking about? Those little patches? Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Well, one of the claims from a witness were out there and um, we had to cross this little path of woods to get, because I wanted to get their EMF readings and to see how far that came out because we know high EMF causes, you know, psychological and paranoid effects, blah, blah, blah. So I'm back in there and we can't get out of this little woods. We're literally walking around, walking around. We come up to this little ditch. Okay. And I'm thinking we should have been there like 15 minutes ago. I'm like, guys shoot an azimuth so we shoot this azimuth <laughs> we have a compass out right and we're walking around like 40 minutes later we come up to this little ditch again i'm like how do we, how are we back here these woods aren't big enough and you know when i stopped this there was like nine of us and we're all walking in a straight line the way we do when we go through woods and everything and um one of the guys there said he wasn't feeling good he was very nauseous and you know we had a couple guys i said all right well let's take a break for a minute let's gather our things and get out of here let's just get out of these woods right so i took maybe five minutes everybody kind of settled a bit we weren't saying much people get a little something to drink i asked if everybody's feeling better everybody was good so we got up and walked out of that went down the ditch came out of it a second time i'm like guys the clearing's right here <laughs> again guys i'm looking like no way we could have missed this what is going on so we finished our investigation Three days later, the video analyst calls, and he's like, what happened to you guys out there? I'm like, nothing. Why? He said, Chase, all three helmet cams are missing eight minutes. Oh. <laughs> yeah, so that kind oh. of stuff, not so cool. I don't like it. Yeah. Yeah. I no, don't like it. No, uh, that, that would, yeah, that'd stick, that'd stick in my craw. <laughs> right up in there. Yeah. yeah. Oh. But at least you can look back and tell the story, and, you know, and it's like, wow, it's just... I, I can't imagine how many how many of those you got. <laughs> we could probably do a whole episode just on stories. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome, though. And I've got some yeah. doozies, too, which are fun, but, you know, another time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, Chase, we've absolutely had a blast uh, yeah, talking to you. Yeah, thank you so tonight. much. Oh, uh, my gosh, guys. It was such my pleasure when uh, 
uh, I first got the invitation to be on the show, I'm like, yes, I love these guys. <laughs> and uh, it's so awesome. Uh, I was really looking forward to it. And, you know, I hope we can do it again someday. It was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Guaranteed. How, no how about, question. Um, t- <laughs> tell our listeners how to find out more about you and where to get your books and all that good stuff. Yeah. The books are on Amazon. Um, I have a website. Of course, it's just chaseklutsky.com. But I hope everybody, you know, kind of checks out our field reports. We have so much fun with that, sharing with, you know, the public. And it's the field reports, plural, dot com. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. And um, Dave and Dave know how to get a hold of me. Yep. So, yeah, we, we do now. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> I'm, I'm so happy we got to meet you at the, the Paracon in Milwaukee. That was that was awesome. And again, thank you so much for talking to us, taking the time out. Yeah, and thank you so much. We know much. how busy you are, so it's a real honor for us. You guys are awesome. I hope to talk to you again soon, and I hope to see you sooner, Chase. Thanks, guys. All right. What do you think of that, Flora? I it's amazing. I'm amazed. I Maybe I'm amazed at the way she's investigating all the time. <laughs> do, 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 do. Maybe, Maybe I'm, I'm amazed, amazed by her scientific method. No, Chase is a, a class act. She is down to earth. She is smart. She is awesome. Yep. It could not be could not be more fortunate than to have her as a guest. So that was great. Thank you so much, Chase. Yeah, thank you, Chase. I, I'm very glad you came on and talked yeah, to us once, bumbling buffoons. Once again, uh, you can uh, find information about her from the MUFON website. Also, her website, chasekletsky.com. I'll spell it for him, Dave. Thanks. <laughs> I don't have the tab open. <laughs> I need I need tabs. Hold them, tab. C H A S E. K L O E T Z K E dot com. Chase Kletzky dot com. Spelled just like it sounds. Of course, I will also have links in the show notes on how to find yes. her stuff, how to find her books. Yeah, it was it was an awesome time and I'm uh, glad she came on there. So thanks again. And uh, Dave, I've got I've got a couple puns from it. Uh just uh, generally if you'd like to throw a couple of couple of after dinner mints in there. Oh yeah. You know I do. They have the most remarkable rich flavor of puns. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God is right. I didn't set that up at all, did I? <laughs> no. Sorry. Well, I'm still excited uh, uh, from the interview. You, you, me, me, you? Uh, I think I got one. I got one ready oh, to go here. Oh, for it. Something that we actually left out of our dark web episode is... Um, a, uh, a particular website that the feds broke up a long time ago. And I, I only bring it up because it's the only way to make sure it doesn't happen again. People need to know the kind of things that are happening in the world so they can be on their guard uh, to make sure that, for example, no cow gets molested ever again. Okay. And I was so proud of the United States government for shutting down Moo Fondle. <laughs> <laughs> it was a horrible website. And um, I'm just glad that all those cows got out and they're being placed with loving families, but not too loving. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Move fondle. <laughs> Criminal. All right. Well, uh, along that topic, I, there, there's a classic board game. You may have played it as a kid, Dave. I don't know. Oh, yeah? But it's the one where you collect evidence on UFO encounters, including who saw it, where they saw it, 
and how they recorded the experience. Oh, yeah? Yeah. It was Clufon. <laughs> nice. Uh, you know, there's one other thing, uh, one other website that we forgot to mention. Uh, if you enjoyed uh, our guest Chase and the work that she's done for MUFON, um, she's also a very accomplished uh, knitter and makes a lot of handmade uh, little trinkets that you can buy for very reasonable prices. Uh, that's at uh, chaseetsy.com. <laughs> I get it. I get it. I got you. I get it. She's immortalized in a pun. What higher praise could there be? <laughs> uh, I'll round us out here. Um, and I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to the day that uh, Switzerland releases all their information on aliens. Yeah. Because the info will come with little delicious chocolates. Will it? Oh, yeah. I can't wait for Swiss closure. <laughs> That's the fucking winner. That was really good. Swiss closure. Yeah, I think you also get a little multi-tool with that. With, yeah, when I tell you. It, but, yeah. yeah, you can you can open a bottle of wine with it. <laughs> well, the them's, them's puns, them's puns, brother. The, uh, I, I, Flora, can we take a break? I'm getting a, I'm getting a headache. Okay, why is it it's like just, fumes or something? Or yeah, yeah, smell? it's just this, just like I think it's is it it's, diesel? It's not, it's not diesel. It's a little bit raw than that. Is it guzzoline? That's it. <laughs> you're you're smelling all the fumes from the. <laughs> What a pun! What a lovely pun! Oh, that's right, dearest listeners. Under in your uh, coal-filled heart stocking is nothing but a stinking, reeking pile of puns, and you've earned them. You can burn them for a long time, though. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Flora, kick it off. All right, let's rip through these. Rip them from Alex the Hoopy. There's another monster in Louisiana, pretty similar to the Goat Man. And I'm surprised it didn't come up when we interviewed J. Nathan Couch. It's an axe-wielding half-man, half-donkey, and he's known as the Ass-Man of New Orleans. No, 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 that's Ryan. (laughs) Zing! Zing! (laughs) There's probably a reference to a Midsummer Night's Dream somewhere in there, too. Uh, But that may be going too far down the Ass-Man hole. Oh. There's another guy you might run into, although this one is less dangerous, physically at least. Is it Greg? (laughs) <laughs> he can be <laughs> we got we got one more here for you josh don't worry about it yeah that's right yeah, don't worry josh you're not walking away from we're this. coming for you he can be a bit annoying because he constantly talks back to you and he's kind of a smart ass it's totally greg he's the sass man of new orleans sass man and finally there's a guy who just refuses to update to the latest social networking sites like facebook or twitter f***ing a josh josh He's the Friendster Man. <laughs> okay, maybe that's reaching for a Slenderman pun, but they've almost all been done. <laughs> no, no, no. See, it's the thing. Like, the, the, the pun rush is already over, so now you're going back through with better refining techniques and really sifting the ground for Slenderman puns. So you're getting totally the rare legit. ones. Friend, Friendsterman. Thank you, Alex the Hoobie. Yeah. I uh, got one from Arachnoschism. Uh, there's a little-known board game, which is the largest and most elaborate of its kind. Uh, of its kind. Many people even postulate that it was brought here from another world. Ooh. The core concept involves guessing whether face-down cards depict nothing or a black mark. 
It's called Blank or Blot. Blank or what? Behind the scenes of Return of the Jedi, Han once asked Jabba whether he preferred dogs or cats as pets. Jabba thought for a moment and replied, Actually, I'm more of a rancor hut. <laughs> Thanks, Arachnoschism. Thank you. From D.W. O'Boyle, there was an infamous New Orleans judge who was known for going easy on his sentences. It was the New Orleans Lax Man. <laughs> oh, these are great. New Orleans is known for its jazz and blues music. One famous for his improvised percussion, he was the New Orleans Clax Man. Spoon Man! Did you know that during the mid-80s, there was a series of murders where the murderer left D20s at the crime scene? He was known as the Gygax Man. <laughs> Finally, Critical did you- fail. <laughs> Finally, did you hear about the bumbling criminal who left clippings of the comic Kathy as his calling card? Oh, he's sick. He was the New Orleans axe, man. <laughs> oh, Ack. God. Kathy. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, I DW. Also, I would have also accepted uh, Bill the Cat from Bloom County. Oh, Also yeah. known for an ack exclamation. Oh, those were great. Thanks, D-Dub. Oh, we got one from General Hammerfist. Thundercock. <laughs> Kick. Thundercock. You didn't think Thundercock could be General. dirtier. <laughs> you were wrong. I did it. Yeah, I gave, that, I gave it a mustache. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I have returned to the States and write you this letter from a very homey bunker. Uh, since being home, I have discovered a few interesting, if not useful, superpowers I seem to possess. Salsamancy, the ability to always grab the exact amount of salsa for the number of chips you have, right down to the final bite. Superpower. That is a superpower. Nungenomistry, the ability to always come up with the perfect D&D character so long as no one is available to play when you try to use it. <laughs> Gone. Hap- happened You're before. lonely. <laughs> oh, here we go. Blurry delivery driver Mancy. A superhuman ability to listen to the Blurry Photos podcast for an entire nine-hour shift five days in a row. Son, that's too much. I I just don't want anyone to hate us. Also, Dylan, you introduced me to the podcast. You're a wonderful You're a wonderful You're f***ing Full page spread in (laughs) Scott's magazine. Did you listen? uh, Do you remember... Did we invent Scott's Magazine? Well, we did, but I probably... There is one. There is. <laughs> I ran across it the other day, and I was like, I couldn't remember if we found Scott's, and then we're like, huh, it'd be funny if there was a page in there. This was called Scott's, but I thought we... I think we invented Scott's Magazine, but it's real. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah. We should make a, We should make one. We should make a fake... Just one, one issue, and it's like <laughs> ha- haggis recipes... And like what the fucking sheep are doing, and then it's like the rest of it is like (laughs) (laughs) Like three pages of articles, and then like sixty pages. (laughs) (laughs) I thank you, Dave's. You are the real American heroes. Thank you. Thank you, General Hammerfist. Then the (laughs) cat. From one general to another, Ironicus. Had a, had a friend named Albert who was deep into mysticism and numerology. It became an addiction. He was a real alcoholic. <laughs> That's great. Later, he became a charismatic fun lover by jo- Hey, you fun lover! 
you f***ing fun lover. By joining a 12 vibrational step program. <laughs> Glorious. Thank you, Ironicus. You f***ing fun lover. <laughs> We're putting master mustaches on all these terms. Yeah, that... we are. It's true. <laughs> Everything gets a mustache. I uh, got one from Lex. Hello, Dave. Just wanted to let you know that after nearly a year of badgering, my normally podcast-averse boyfriend finally gave your show a shot and fell in love. Ooh. Ooh. The Elisa Lamb episode kept him from sleeping. He was so scared. But he's hooked. Uh, I figured you would like to hear but about another believer converted to the cause. Sure. Thank you, Lex. Who's the mythical snake God foretold by prophecy to introduce the Aztec people to delicious gooey cheese? Quesacotl? Damn right. Of course. <laughs> Can you dip it? Can you dip it? <laughs> Quesacotl. <laughs> Thanks, Lex. Thank you, Lex. From MK Mediocre. Despite having elephants and stegosaurus, as, as slaves were used as a labor force to help build the great cities in Cambodia. Slavery wasn't universally accepted, though, and eventually a book was published which helped the free people of the area to understand the horrors of slavery. In recent years, this book has gotten negative press, which claims that it perpetuates racial stereotypes. Still, it can't be denied that Angkor Tom's cabin changed the world. <laughs> That's really good. That's clever. Thank you, MK. Thanks, MK. I uh, got one from Rob from Toronto, but not that Rob, he's dead. Um, potential new sponsor. Oh. When things get hot and humid, food can quickly begin to smell, stinking up your fridge. Well, thank goodness for Cambodia, the experts on heat and humidity who bring us Surya Varman Hammer 2 brand fridge deodorizers. <laughs> You'll be telling your friends, come here and smell how fresh this is. <laughs> oh, that's, man, that is one of the most powerful one-two combos I've seen in a long time. That's true. Uh, one more here from Rob. In recent years, Jason has noticed that more and more criticism is coming his way for leaving his family. He angrily called people out for their obvious Medea bias. Oh, thank you, Rob. My mom loves those movies. Oh, yeah? Well, you know, I think if I can spend 90 minutes, pray and laugh, well, that's time well spent. <laughs> uh, all right, got one here from Tyler. Where's Tyler from? Indiana. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the haunted state. Um, were you guys aware that while New Orleans was being terrorized by a hatchet-wheeling madman in the early 1900s, they were also combating an incredibly high level of taxation in local resale and consignment shops? Store owners rose up in arms to combat this financial burden in what would become known as the tax ban of blue-torn pants. <laughs> wow. Thorough. That was great. <laughs> yeah, you used every part of the pun, Tyler. <laughs> Got some here from Vile Kyle. Oh, God. Not so superpower. This superpower allows you to travel anywhere you need to go at the speed of sound. But before you can do it, you must first sprout a three-foot-long golden retriever tail and run around spastically, smelling every butt in sight along the way. It's called tail apportation. <laughs> Is it worth it for all the butts you'd have to smell? Of course. Uh, I'm a little disappointed. Here are a th few things you missed in your Anchor Watt episode. First of all, there's a small faction that was still loyal to the Java Empire, and they resided just outside of Anchor Watt in a small pit. They called it the Ankar Pit. <laughs> it was their custom to gather and battle large creatures for the amusement of Java. Also, there was a small cabin inside of Anchor Tom where slaves would gather for refuge. Yep, you smelled it, Anchor Tom's cabin. And oh. 
Recently, I worked with a guy named Fox at an auto body shop called Bumper Car Fix. Our slogan was, hit a deer. Come to us, we'll fix those bloody denters. Yeah, I get it. I anyway, get it. the man was it. fired for attempting to blow up the shop. He decided that the only way to get back at us was through piracy. So he went out and stole a pair of sloops, called them the D&B Slooper. <laughs> wow, this guy's covering a lot of territory. Then he covered himself in motor oil, went by the name of Pirate Black Smeared. <laughs> Coming to shore for the first time, he began... He began We're the only shout. halfway through this, everybody. <laughs> We're only halfway through this. He began the shout, Angar, what? As yes. he was interrupted by his first mate who needed to remind him his target was too far inland. Realizing he made all Tutankhamun of a mistake, he sailed south. On his journey, he met his mast broke in a storm, and they were forced to make great oars out of oak, so they began rowing oak. They finally stopped in Maryland where he decided to set up a boating tour company called the Maryland Boatman. Jesus, that was a journey through the mind of a madman. <laughs> Hemisphere spreading. Yes. Thanks, Vile Kyle. Thank you, Vile Got one from Volt. How about a lesser known killer from New Orleans during the same time period as the Axeman was Ooh. slaying audience after audience with his jazzy beats. Mm. He was known as the Sax Man. Sax Man. A uh, once honorable and heroic survivor of, post- of post-apocalyptic Earth got fed up with oil-hoarding mutants on dune buggies and went on a massive killing spree. He was the Mad Max Man. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Volt. Thank you, Volt, and rounding us out on the punny road, Dave. <laughs> it's not Adam the Best Man. No. It's Adam... The first man! Guten Tag, Adam. Wie geht es einen? Adam dropping his kids off at the Krampus Knox family, at the Van Helshimer's family (laughs) fun place and child and shopping child detention. Whatever it is. F*** it. We said it once. That was enough. (laughs) Yeah. You'll want to hear it. Rewind it. Howdy ho, blurry photos. Been a while since I wrote to you. Been pretty busy with new job working in a prison. Prison jobs for those of us who want cushy government careers, but with the excitement of occasional stabbing. Yes, please. Uh, Did you know a mathematician discovered a new musical phenomenon wherein the number of trumpet players in a band (laughs) always equals the sum of the number of guitar and accordion players that preceded them? This discovery has, of course, been named the mariachi sequence. (laughs) That was brilliant. And uh, super high fives to Adam Verstman for uh, uh, recommending uh, Wilhelm Reich and Orgone some time ago. He says, I believe I called him the guy who was too weird for Sigmund Freud. Yeah, so boom, you did it. Thank you, Adam, and thank you, everyone. Oh, man, them's his puns. That's the punny road. I write, I pun, I write again. Oh, man, and thank all of you for listening to this, our humble podcast. You're glorious. I was thinking today in the car that the best thing I could do is is maybe just keep this super short, uh, but with also never not mentioning everything we need to. So like a Facebook, hit a donate button in Patreon for monthly love in Twitter us. And don't forget Kitty Chat. The CPC has other podcast. <laughs> I can't. You you have rehearsed this. 
<laughs> I didn't. I'm just. I'm just. This is a free man. This is free. Well, and don't um, forget to check them out if you want free books. AudibleTrial.com/slash/blurryphotos. <laughs> I think that's everything. That was, In one. That's pretty good, man. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty good. I'm. I'm impressed. And and now we've set a precedent. Yep. Good job, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Flora. Say say your right words, the podcaster said. <laughs> Enclosed this pact shall be. <laughs> uh, Klaatu, Verata. <laughs> That's it. I said the words. The podcast can end now. <laughs> right? <laughs> What do you mean? I said your damn words. (laughs) For this episode of Blurry Photos. Full disclosure, I've been David Flora. Nice. And I've been Dave. I think there's someone in my bathroom with some sort of space gun. Stecco. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. This is my boom bike.